0: You're listening to Choose F.I. Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online.
1: Hello, everyone. Super excited to dive into this week's episode. We're getting the opportunity to speak with Diana Merriam, Today's episode, I think, is going to be one on shifting perspectives, and I say this because uh, she, in a somewhat self-deprecating way, told me privately that <laughs> told me privately. <laughs> <happening here. laughs> You're welcome, Pam. <Diane. laughs> told me that she had a goal, an early goal, being the world's highest-paid female CEO, and along the way realized there's no there there. And I think this makes for a Fascinating, fascinating kind of mindset, perspective, change. And if we're gonna get the opportunity to explore her story, where where she came from and what her objectives are now for herself and for the people in her community, very excited to explore this and help me with this. I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy?
2: Hey Jonathan, I am doing quite well. And yeah, we had the good fortune of meeting Diana at the most recent FinCon, which is great. And I think her story will be one that's applicable for so many of us, right? We have these societal norms or dreams. I had my own absurd thing where I wanted to be a partner at one of the big five accounting firms. And I quickly realized that wasn't my dream. That was somebody else's. And it certainly sounds like Diana had a very, very similar life experience. I just can't wait to dive into it. So with that, Diana, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thanks so much for having me. So Diana,
1: from our past conversation, I know you mentioned you found the financial independence community in 2015 and you're thrown yourself, you know, in, in many ways, just into this information and into this community. But I'm really curious if we were to step ahead of all that, go back in time a little bit, where does your money story really begin? Cause I know you didn't start out debt-free. You didn't make perfect choices right out the gate.
3: Yeah. I think if I could define my financial situation, you know, in my twenties, frankly, it was pretty mindless when I look back at how my behavior around money and saving and debt, it was always... And I, I think that a lot of young people have this uh, position too, where you just kind of feel like you'll figure it out later. Like, oh, I'm just getting started in my career. One day I'm going to make a ton of money and be the highest paid female CEO. And I'm not going to have to worry about all this stuff, right? And so I think that is kind of what put me into a position of getting myself into debt and not really paying attention to where my dollars were going.
2: So what did that look like practically on a week-by-week or month-by-month basis? What were those choices that led you to get into debt?
3: I found myself in my late 20s at thirty grand in debt. Um, I know a lot of people have it a lot worse than that, especially when you think about student loan debt. For me, half of my debt was from student loans, but really, I didn't need to have student loans because I got a full scholarship to school. So that was a pretty poor financial decision to take out loans for our living expenses when I really didn't need to when I was in school. But that was kind of the conventional wisdom at the time is, oh, these are available to you. So no, not, you know, why not take them? And this is good debt, um, right? It's good debt. It's great interest rates. Oh, yeah. Great debt. Great debt. <laughs> I mean, I think my interest rates, I'm trying to think back to, because, you know, I Organized them all and paid them off based on the highest interest rate. I think they were, you know, six to eight percent, maybe nine percent, some of those rates. So, you know, they weren't terribly low, but it's just you're told kind of the trajectory that you're supposed to go and taking out loans for being able to live on campus and not thinking about a more resourceful way to go about it definitely got me into that that student loan debt. So that was about half my debt. And then the other half was credit card debt. I was really living outside my means and I didn't have the mindset that debt was a bad thing because all of my examples around me, everyone was in debt. And that's just the fact of life. You know, It's just you take on debt and you have bills and that's the way that it is. It wasn't until I discovered the FIRE movement that I really started to look at it differently.
1: I know that part of your story was you actually joined an accountability group in your, with your peers in New York. Tell us how that started.
3: Yeah. A friend of mine in New York, she wanted to create this group called the, Women's, the Reputable Women's Development Club. What a name, right? <laughs> and she had a lot of ambitious goals and she loved to surround herself with people that were also pursuing goals and figure out ways that we could help each other. And so we would meet probably about once a month. And review our goals and kind of get back to our why of those goals and really come up with action plans that we would then touch base on the next month. And it was pretty remarkable because a lot of us had very similar goals in that we wanted to take fitness more seriously, we wanted to get out of debt, we wanted to advance in our careers. And so a lot of our action plans, you know, were very similar. And one of the ladies, she actually worked for Google. And so maybe that's, you know, software engineer, maybe there's a bigger audience for that with Mr. Money Mustache, but she stumbled across that blog and sent out an article. I don't even remember which one it was, but it was probably the one about debt being an emergency. Like you've got to look at it like your hair is on fire. And that really changed my perspective. And I ended up just devouring that entire blog. And I think that shift in mindset is what enabled me to change my habits and look at not just money but my resources in general in a different way so the resources of time your energy your community you know we talk so much about money but but that's just just one resource that we want to be careful in managing you know i think you got to look at it as the whole picture
2: So Diana, I want to ask about this, this mastermind group, the RWDC, right? Just rolls right off the tongue. And and Diana, don't you work (laughs) in branding
1: now?
3: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that that was a friend of mine's creation. Um, We probably worked together on stuff for probably over a year, maybe two years. And then one of us in the group got into Harvard. I'd like to say that that was through all of our joint efforts, but that was 100% her. And then people were moving away, people's life situations changed. So the group ended up disbanding, but it was very impactful during that time to be able to check in with people regularly that were also pursuing similar goals.
2: And you had mentioned previously the accountability being one of the major aspects of that. I'm curious, how did you hold each other accountable? I think so many people are looking for these type of mastermind groups, but they don't know like practically how it's going to help them. And I think accountability has a significant portion to do with that success.
3: Yeah, I think we had a, a pretty systematic way of documenting what we said we were going to do. And, you know, we tried not to overcomplicate it, but at the beginning of us getting together, we had five very clear goals. And then, you know, we would come up with maybe three action items each month that would take us closer to our goals. And then that's written down, that's documented. So when you go to the next meeting, it's like looking what you said last time and kind of reporting back to the group, what worked, what didn't, You know how we're pivoting or adjusting. But I definitely think the the process of the systematic documenting of what you say you're going to do and what your goals are helps to create that accountability because you have to speak to it during the next meeting.
1: So I'm fascinated by this. And I've been thinking that mentorship and working together in accountability groups is... It's something that we don't talk about nearly enough being it's so powerful. And I've seen it at a, in my own personal and professional life. Uh, but I don't see it talked about as much in, in the community, how many people were in this group. And then in terms of tackling these different goals together, was it all financial goals? What ended up coming out of this?
3: So there were about 10 people in the group, and I would say they were all varied in like skill sets. So for example, um, one woman in the group was a personal trainer those of us who had fitness goals, like she took a, a real lead on helping us with that. so there were different skill sets within the group that you could tap into. The best thing that came out of it was the accountability and and actually being able to look back on those goals, like I actually looked back on the paper that I filled out that first day and to to see that it was incredibly ambitious of me to think that i could get out of 30 grand in debt and save $10,000 that to me was like something that felt a bit out of my reach at the time and to be able to look back on that like 4 years later and go oh my gosh like i i remember when that was such a hard thing for me what is the other hard thing for me right now that i don't feel like i can tackle And it kind of reminds myself and gives myself the confidence that I've done hard things in the past. I have the documentation to prove it and I can do hard things in the future. It's a huge benefit to be able to see your progress, tangibly see it on paper.
2: Diana, you mentioned how there were this variety of group members and skill sets. Do you know when this was set up, was there intentionality behind that? Was this set up very specifically to have people from various backgrounds and and professions and such, or did that just come together organically?
3: Yeah, I think that came together organically. Like as people were kind of expressing what their goals are and what their needs are, other people in the group were kind of encouraged to raise their hand and say, oh, I have some knowledge in that area, or have you read that book? Or to put forth their knowledge, it kind of came out organically. And even as we were going through this process, as we're learning things along the way we'll share so for example, when I was getting out of debt, I discovered a really good calculator that I like to use where you would plug in all of your accounts and the interest rates and the minimum payments and then there was like a drop down menu that would show you different strategies, whether it's like the snowball strategy or paying off the lowest balance first and how long it would take you uh, based on you know how much extra income you had to throw at your debt for each month. And kind of how the different strategies, how much interest you'd be paying over the long run, and how long it would take you to ultimately get out of all of that debt. So, that was like a tool that I discovered as I was in the group that then I would share with the group. And that happened a lot different books, you know, or different things that people were coming up with on their own. We then kind of cross pollinated that amongst the group so that it could benefit everyone.
1: You know, they're, that quote, the Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. In this case, you're very intentionally circling yourself with 10 individuals that have this similar desire. And you have this objective of becoming the world's highest paid female CEO. And while I don't know if in the interim of this group that actually happened, I can imagine that one thing an accountability group would be talking about would be how to negotiate or increase their salary. And I'm just curious in your own life, or in those that were also in the group did you see any of that any of that kind of you should be doing this here are the tools you need now go out and get it
3: yeah absolutely another big benefit of the group is you know to encourage each other and to offer suggestions and course correct all along the way because you know you try different things and they don't work and you've got to pivot so to constantly have to be able to tap into a group of engaged women in this case was really beneficial on not feeling like I had to figure out everything on my own. I'd also say that that goal of being the world's highest paid female CEO, that to me is a very old goal. It was like a very old, immature goal that I had when I was like a teenager. Mm. To me, it was because I just had these dreams of what success was or thoughts or ideas of what success was based on what society tells us. And so to me, being rich and impressing other people, you know, that was what my goal should be, you know, so thinking about like my academic career, I was very, you know, I was a very good student, got a full scholarship to college, really was trying to set myself up so that I could climb the ladder. But I think what I was really missing, and what's that quote, I think it's, it's Jim Carrey or someone that said, everyone should be rich and famous so that they realize they don't want to be rich and famous. that that, that's not something that that you should want to pursue. But you have to kind of get along that path to come to that realization. So I think as I was climbing the ladder in my career, and I was making more money, and I was taking on more responsibility, and really focusing all of my energy on that goal, what I had to sacrifice in order to do that was what I think is the important things in life now, which is relationships, building close relationships and community is hugely important. It is not something that I valued when I wanted to be the world's highest paid female CEO. And to add to that, the the, the reason why I'm so embarrassed about you guys making that statement because it is a part of my story, but it's just so embarrassing to me now because the CEO of what? It's not like I had, I, right? It's, it's It doesn't it's matter.
1: Like,
3: it, it, exactly. It's like, it's not like I had ambitions to, you know, build this thing that was going to really impact the world. And there was like no altruistic mm. motives at all to wanting to be this, you know, it, it was merely status. That's what I was after. Status. It's a it's a hollow goal, and a pretty immature goal. That I hope that I've at this point grown beyond. I I feel like I've grown beyond it because I'm so embarrassed to say it. But it's not something that even crosses my mind anymore. This idea of status and climbing the ladder. Um, I think my goals have really shifted since, especially since learning about fire and learning all the kind of mindset and lifestyle changes that I needed to go through to pursue it. My goals now are really peace of mind, time, space, happiness, relationships. I wouldn't say that climbing the ladder and making a ton of money and having this status symbol of highest paid female CEO is even on my radar anymore.
1: The reason I started with that is because you have such a dramatic shift in your story because you could have gone for the money. And Diana, I'm not overstating it to say I mean you probably wouldn't say this on your own but let me say it for you you're ridiculously good at your job your employer values you is that accurate
3: yeah absolutely i'm very fortunate in that i have an employer that that i do feel valued by and that i genuinely believe like cares about my well-being so yeah very fortunate in that regard
1: Now, the upshot of that, depending on how you want to look at it, is when you are valued, more and more responsibilities are given to you and you execute on those. And increasingly, that takes up increasing amounts of your time. So before you go in with this request based on what it is that you value, you know, what was the situation you found yourself in? What was happening along with this increase in responsibility?
3: You know, I've always kind of been a workaholic. I think it's just part of my nature in that because I thought that climbing the ladder and career success would lead to happiness. And so what I found was I was spending a lot of time working, and I was really doing that at the expense of everything else, at the expense of building relationships, at the expense of my health. I got to a point where I was turning 30 years old, and you know, I think it's a very reflective age, where you look and say, well, what do I have to show for myself? And I did have, you know, and I still do have a career that I'm really proud of. And I have colleagues that feel like family to me. And I really do enjoy my work. But it was almost like I put all my eggs in that basket. And so I was feeling a bit satis- unsatisfied in other areas of my life. And so I found myself having an opportunity to say, okay, I work for a company that really values me. I'm a salesperson. I've been bringing in good business for a number of years and been really substantially increasing my sales year over year. I've been rewarded monetarily for that and feel very valued by my company in that regard. What is better than money in this instance? I didn't feel like I needed more money. I felt like I needed more time and freedom. Those are, again, when you think about resourcefulness and what resources that you have at your disposal, I felt like I needed to open up a little bit more space in my life and to focus on relationships, to focus on my health, to be, I guess, a more well-rounded person. Because up until that point, a lot of my identity was really wrapped up in work. And so I found this opportunity to go to my employer and say, yes, I've had another good year. Rather than another raise, what I would prefer is to move away from New York City. I decided to move to Cincinnati and I'd love to work remotely. And then I'd also like two months off, a two-month sabbatical unpaid to go to Spain and walk the Camino, which is this 500-mile trek across northern Spain. Those were two things that I don't think that I would have been able to ask for had I not gotten out of debt and gotten my financial situation in a place where I felt like I had some you know, wiggle room to be able to, to ask for something that I really wanted.
2: Diana, you said something earlier, I've done hard things in the past and can do them in the future. And that just struck me. I wrote it down immediately. And it seems like that's where this is all leading towards identity, right? You said your identity was wrapped up in work, but now it seems like it's wrapped up in doing these unconventional and difficult things. Like, as you said, walking the Camino for 500 miles for going outside of your comfort zone and asking your employer for two months off and then to move to Cincinnati. I'd love to hear how you conceptualize that 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 hard work because yeah. that doesn't come easy to most people.
3: Well, I think you know I'm very influenced by what I've, you know, been exposed to. You know, I talk about how moving away from that mindset of wanting to be the highest paid female CEO, that was my cultural conditioning that fueled that desire right and so when i was able to kind of unwind from that and be exposed to people that were doing unconventional things and kind of expand my mind in terms of what's possible it really got me questioning well what do i really want that maybe doesn't follow this script of like the traditional american dream and so when you when you allow yourself to kind of dream a little bit of your own dream, not the American dream that's sold to you. I think you can come up with some interesting ideas of things that interest you.
1: Well, you know, what's interesting, I'm just putting myself in the situation of your co So you're working in this agency building and in this corporate office and everybody kind of has this, this is just what you do. And suddenly you're not there and your co-workers still are. And they go to your boss and they say, w- w- why did you let her do this? I didn't know you could do this. I'm just, that conversation had to happen, right? Because in this case, you truly are a trailblazer.
3: Yeah. I mean, I didn't have any examples of anyone making this kind of ask before I did, especially like to take a sabbatical. I work in a really fast-paced industry in a company based in New York City where everyone is ambitious and working really hard. And so the idea of taking a two-month break, if I would have been there for one year and then made that ask, I probably wouldn't have been granted but because I had been there for five years and I'd really proven my value to the company, I think that I was in a much better position to make that ask. Like, I recognized that I had leverage. And I also recognized that if they said no, I was going to do it anyway. And that's a really scary, like, I'm so happy that they didn't say no. But I was prepared to do it anyway because I felt like I needed a really big change in my life. And I liked my job and I loved my colleagues and I didn't want to leave, but I knew I needed something different. So I understand the question of what did my colleagues say about it? I think they recognized that, you know, I've contributed a lot to the company and I've really, you know, busted my butt and worked really hard to put myself in a position to be able to ask that. So I think it also, set a good example to like my colleagues and especially new hires in the organization that when you do work that hard and when you do contribute to the company in, in those ways, that you're in a position to make those asks and you're rewarded for it. So I, I would hope that they saw it that way.
2: <laughs> yeah, I totally hear you. And and it's important to note that you were not bluffing. You were walking in there with a legitimate ask. But the downside is if they said no, you were out. Right, that's how I understand your story.
3: Yeah, I mean I was prepared to walk. I really didn't want to, but I knew that it's it was such an unconventional ask that I needed to prepare myself for that possibility. You know, being able to get out of debt and save money and know that I had a little bit of a safety net for myself to be able to figure it out and also my whole process of getting out of debt really gave me the confidence to know that I had the ability to figure it out. So I think going in there with that confidence of even if it's not going to work out the way that I want it to, there is always going to be another way. Um, And I know how to live really minimally. So I don't need all that much. That really gave me the confidence to make the ask for sure.
1: I want to talk about your identity for a second. You know, I think if you look at the the last several decades of your life kind of focused on your career and you get to this inflection point at the age of 30 and you realize that, you know, if you just keep going in that direction full steam with nothing else behind it, there's no there, there. And you, you pivot for a life of balance. And in your case, it looks like the Camino, but now, I mean, the whole world's opened up to you, but at the same point, your identity is kind of being born from scratch. Like what did this journey do for your sense of identity for maybe your, you know, own personal insecurities that you're working through. Like, what did it look like to build this from scratch?
3: Yeah. I mean, the Camino was a very pivotal experience for me. You know, I mentioned that my identity was really tied up in work before then. When I was on the Camino, no one asked me what I did for a living. Absolutely no one, because that, you know, it, it, that's not why we were there. We weren't networking, we were on this kind of like spiritual journey together. So I felt like people saw beyond what I did for work, which was a new experience for me, because you think about our typical American culture, when you meet someone, a very standard question is, what do you do? Uh, no one asked me that on the Camino. So that, that was really pivotal for me. I also felt like without having the stress and demands of daily life and work, it allowed me to kind of tap into a level of my own humanity that maybe was clouded by some of the stress and ambition that I had before. So I genuinely cared, you know, do these people have enough water? I was carrying more water than I needed for myself because I kept running into people who needed water along the way, you know, or everyone was struggling with blisters. So we would all kind of like it's like we were all witch doctors, you know, we'd all sit around and kind of uh figure out like the right, you know, what's causing your blisters? Is it is it pressure? Is it moisture? Is it uh, you know, friction and, you know, should you pop it? Should you not pop it? Like we we were just <laughs> the important question. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I would say like getting down to like these bare necessities with other humans around you. Your only job is to get up, pack up your stuff, clothe yourself and walk 10, 20 miles to find the next place you're gonna sleep and find food. Like it's almost like a real simple way of life that lets you tap into who you are, how you treat people, how you interact with your day beyond the stresses of daily life as we know it when you've got a full-time job. I think it was really important for me to have that experience and see okay, so this is the opposite end of the spectrum. How can I take some of the great things about this into, back into my everyday life when, I, when these two months are over? So
2: I'm definitely seeing a theme here of community. We're talking about your mastermind group in New York City. Now we're talking about this community you've found on this 500-mile arduous path. Then the FI community. We talk constantly about the importance of community on the journey towards financial independence. I'd love to hear... Any parallels you've seen, any similarities? I'd love to hear your thoughts of the financial independence community.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think community in general, um, like you said, it's just so important. And in my experience, especially when I was getting out of debt and I was trying to tap into that resource, you know, I used to joke around with my friends that convenience is the ultimate friendship builder because I would really try to make friends with people in my apartment building um especially the last place i lived was the only place that i lived alone when i was in new york city and there were about 42 apartments in that building and whenever i would see someone in the hallway i would invite them over for dinner and we ended up forming this community it was almost like a sharing community where you know like i remember this one guy in the building next door he um he loved to build things and he had a ton of tools And so anytime someone needed help with something like that, they would call on him. Um, Or like my neighbors downstairs from me, we split my internet and split that bill. It didn't affect either of our functionality. And so we just thought, hey, let's, let's share the internet. I would host dinner parties all the time where we would get together and form community and hang out and... It definitely was helpful on like especially my path to getting out of debt because before then I was going out a lot, you know. And so to be able to like entertain at home with people that were close by that we all really got along was extremely helpful and resourceful. Um, and even here in my house here in Cincinnati, I've got A lawnmower that I share with my neighbor. My neighbor's next door. They have three chickens that they recently adopted and they don't have a fenced in yard, but I do and I don't really use it for anything. So the chickens need to roam and they roam in my yard. You know, we're constantly finding ways to help each other. Not only does that just scratch that itch of we all need, you know, friends and a social life, but it's also resourceful. So, you know, there's multiple benefits to it.
1: Diana, I find myself referencing your story as an example of what it looks like to design your future long before reaching financial independence, um, and in particular with this big moment that you had with your employer and carving out this, you know, custom work experience in in Cincinnati. I mean, it's truly, truly remarkable, and so few people have the courage to do it. And I think it is happening slowly, and I, I wish we could continue to highlight more and more stories like that. But I'm curious. You have these two kind of identities that are now running parallel. This, should I pop it? Should I not pop it on the Camino and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this corporate go-getter? And now you're back and you have to blend the two. What did it look like for you to find the balance point? Have you found it yet? Are you comfortable with kind of how these two have married? Um, Yeah. Just your thoughts on that.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that they kind of like coexist comfortably when it comes to my work ethic and being a workaholic before. I'm still producing the way that I was producing before, but it's almost like my mindset had shifted so much that I don't put so much pressure on myself Mm. about the work. You know, because my identity isn't so wrapped up in it, I'm able to enjoy it a little bit more. And then when things aren't going my way, I don't take it so hard. So it's almost like on the outside, like I think when my employer looks at what I'm delivering, it's very similar to what I delivered before, but I think I pers- my personal experience is that I'm enjoying it more because I'm not putting so much pressure on myself.
2: Diana, I just have a real quick question, just like actionable tactics, right? That's what we're always looking for here at Choose a Fi. You said you share your lawnmower with your next door neighbor. What does that look like when you broach that subject? I think so many of us, especially in the Fi community, listening to this, would love to do that in their real life, but there's just some level of, I don't know, societal nervousness or fear or whatever. Like, How does that come up?
3: Yeah. I think in that case, it came up pretty organically because I had just gotten this new mower and my neighbor across the street had an electric mower that wasn't working very well. As I was outside mowing, like, they felt comfortable coming over and asking me because I had invited them over for dinner before. Like they had known who I was. They have helped me with other things. You know, when I was first moving into my house and some of the, like working out some of the kinks and they would come over and help me with things. So I think in my case, cause I'm pretty extroverted, I definitely would like extend the olive branch first and, you know, invite people over for dinner or introduce myself or offer, You know, a kindness to someone, and when they see that you have that nature, it makes them a lot more comfortable to do the same. But I don't think it's anything that you can force. Like, I don't think you could sit there and strategize, like, "Hey, I really like that guy's lawnmower down the street. I'm gonna, (laughs) I'm gonna go try to like ask him if I can borrow it." I think it does need to be a bit organic. But I also love talking about this kind of stuff, and so the people around me that that I have over for dinner and that we have these conversations recognize that, that I'm down for that kind of thing. And when you have the spirit of sharing and you make the offer, it sets up this dynamic where they're thinking, how can they help you too? And it just, it's a beautiful cycle when it, when it happens organically.
1: Right. I actually have something to add to this. Um, When I moved to my new neighborhood, I think I did it to a lesser degree in my other neighborhood as well, but when I moved to my new neighborhood, when I met the first three or four people on my block, I'm pretty sure that tied to, hi, my name's Jonathan, I uh, right behind the addendum, A.1, uh, hey, by the way, I have a pressure washer. If you ever need to use it, just let me know. I'd happily let you borrow. You can become very popular in your neighborhood if you have a pressure washer. <laughs> so uh, exactly. while you may not be able to ask for their mower right, right out the gate, you can certainly uh, offer something up that you think that they may or may not have. And I had two people say, wow, that'd be amazing. Now I will say they haven't actually asked me to use it yet, but. Yeah, but they might, they, they might. might. And it, that is, I mean, that spirit of sharing
2: that Diana just mentioned, right? If you set that up, absolutely. who knows when they're going to ask you, Hey, do you want to borrow X, Y, and Z that we have the spirit of sharing? I love that quote. I've never offered you, but by the way, if you ever
1: need yeah. to borrow a pressure washer, hit me up. Thanks, man. <laughs> right. So then I want to pivot to a project that you're working on now. And I guess the setup for this is you were actually introduced to us by William, who's our, um, he's the head of our technology department here at Choose FI. And he lives, happens to live in Cincinnati in your local area. He said, you're putting on a really cool event. And I'd love to hear, you know, what the backstory was for this and, and what your plan for it is.
3: Absolutely. I think those of us in the fire movement and that have been so impacted by this change of mindset and getting our finances in order, many of us, when we're so passionate about something, we want to like shout it from the mountaintops, you know, and share it with people around us. I think for me, I accidentally stumbled upon this stuff. And I'm so grateful for Mr. Money Mustache to have decided to type into a computer one day so that I could find something that. I didn't even know was for me. You know, I, I kind of stumbled on it accidentally. And so the idea of being able to make this kind of content more accessible to other people that also don't yet know that it's their thing or people that do know it's their thing and are just looking for reinforcement and to be surrounded by community and like-minded people really was the motivation for me to create this event called economy. So it's economy, like M-E at the end. Fun play on words, especially when you think about economy with a Y. One of the definitions I saw was it's a careful management of available resources. So we've talked about resources in this podcast. I love the idea of applying that to an individual or family with this conference called Economy. And so the top line description, I guess you could call it like the TEDx or the TED Talks of the FIRE movement. Um, It's going to be a one-day event at the University of Cincinnati. And the way that the schedule is shaping up thus far, we're going to have a morning session of speakers. Then everyone's going to go their own way uh, for the afternoon, either through attendee-led meetups, go explore Cincinnati a little bit. Um, We're going to have about a three-hour break in the middle of the day. A piece of the audience is going to be able to screen um, Playing With Fire. Uh, There's actually a movie theater in the venue that we've secured. And then we'll come back together for a second session of speakers. Everyone kind of goes their own way for dinner. And then we'll gather at a venue downtown for an after party. So this event to me, I had this creative itch to create something. And I felt that all of the blogs and the podcasts and the books that I've been reading were just doing such a great job. And they were so eloquent in you know, describing this mindset and this shift when thinking about money and lifestyle design that I didn't feel like that could be my contribution. I thought that maybe an event to get people out from behind their screens and interacting with this kind of content in a different way felt like that's where the white space might be. The other thing that really appealed to me as I started putting this together, just looking at venues, the University of Cincinnati had hands down the best option for venue and they've been really awesome to work with. So having this other layer of doing it at a university really opens up exposing students to this kind of content which is very interesting to me because I can't imagine how different my 20s would be if I would were to have discovered this stuff when I was in college. So I think the event has really evolved from wanting to create you know, a time for people to get together and interact with this content in a different way and to also build a platform for content producers and creators to share their content through the means or medium of public speaking, it's really evolved from there to have this kind of pay it forward aspects in sharing with the students. So it's been quite the endeavor. I've been working on it for over a year, well over a year. And I was really inspired by this other event that I go to called World Domination Summit. And I know it's a crazy name. It sounds like it's produced by like Pinky in the Brain or something Pinky like that. But brain, brain, uh, brain, exactly. Brain. <laughs> um, but that event was really influential on me, you know, in reading about the fire movement and then also going to World Domination Summit, where it's all about, you know, how do you live an unconventional life in this conventional world and really highlighting people doing really remarkable things with their life that's outside the kind of standard script that our society tells us. Being exposed to all of that, the way that I feel when I leave World Domination Summit, I'm so inspired and I'm so, it's like the wheels are really turning on how can I apply this stuff to my own life. And so the idea of creating an event that could help someone else feel that way about fire is really interesting to me. So that's really the main motivation behind it.
1: Awesome. What is your capacity for the economy event?
3: I've got room for 700 people.
1: Awesome. Fantastic. And I'm sure there'll be students there as well. So if someone's listening to this and this TEDx like event for intentional living appeals to them, what is the best way for them to find out more about your conference and what you're doing?
3: Yeah. So the website is economy, M-E at the end, economyconference.com. And from there, you can see the speakers that we've had lined up. I've got about half of them already booked. I'm very close to booking my final four. So by the time this comes out, um, all the speakers might, might actually be up there. But I'm also extending early bird ticket sales through the end of October. So I think by the time this episode launches, there'll be about a week and a half for people to uh, take advantage of that early bird pricing. And then there's also a Facebook page and group. Facebook page is just at Economy Conference, and the group is called Fueling the Fire. And so that's kind of where I'm also sharing information about the conference as it, it becomes available.
1: Awesome. Now, the actual date of this conference for someone that may have missed it the first time, when is this conference happening?
3: It is on March 7th, 2020, which is a Saturday and it's at the University of Cincinnati. So full day event. Awesome.
1: All right. Well, on most shows, that would be the end of the episode. But on this show, Diana, we would love to give you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Are you ready for this?
3: Absolutely.
0: In a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, these questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat.
2: All right, Diana, question number one. What is your favorite blog or podcast or book of all time?
3: Well... This is just a no brainer for me, Mr. Money Mustache. I mean, that's what really got the ball rolling for me. So I have to shout out to MMM. Nice.
1: Question number two, an inflection point in your life that was especially memorable or meaningful.
3: Okay. So can I tell you guys a little story about the Camino? Cause this might be kind of funny. Yeah. This yeah. was a, a moment on the Camino that was really interesting to me. I like to say that the Camino like strips you of your sense of humor and then hands it back to you. And it just kind of was a a moment for me that was meaningful because it kind of just shows how things can turn on a dime. So I had this experience where I slept on a church floor one night and I was really uncomfortable. I was freezing. I was actually like nauseous because I was so cold. I couldn't sleep. I was sleeping on the hard ground. And at like 5 in the morning, I decided I'm just going to get up and start walking. So it's pitch black and I'm walking by myself and I walk for like an hour to this next town. And there's just like a few houses on like one main road. This town is super small. And there was one light on in the whole town at six in the morning. And it was a guy who had a little albergue where he was hosting pilgrims who also walked the Camino. And he was setting breakfast up. And I ended up knocking on his window and asking if I could come in for breakfast. And he lets me in and he shows me where I can put my walking poles and my shoes and all of that. And then he says to me, "Um, so where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from the U.S. And he goes, I'm sorry, where? And we're just both looking at each other like confused. And I said, I'm American from the United States of America. And he's just got this confused look on his face. And And he just says to me, I'm so sorry, I've never heard of it and there's this moment where we're just like staring at each other in disbelief and then he erupts into laughter <laughs> he was he was totally just screwing with me and it was like i i was so in a terrible mental place because i hadn't slept and i was so uncomfortable and i was cold and i was hungry and and this guy just like completely snapped me out of it um b- based on this you know him kind of Playing this joke on me, you. so yeah, yeah, and it was just it, so. I don't know when you said a moment, a pivotal moment. It was just like this lesson of yes, even when things feel really bad right now, you know, like it could it could switch in a moment, you know, like things can can snap in place in a moment and change your perspective. And that's kind of been a common theme for me, I think.
2: I love that anecdote. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you can probably draw on that really at a moment's notice to, to make you snap and realize it's going to be okay. Right. That's I, I absolutely love that. All right, Diana, question number three, your favorite life hack.
3: Okay. So I'm going to have to say, I have a roommate who I also refer to as my gay husband, and it is phenomenal having him around. You know, he definitely helps. I guess that's a house hacking, right? Helps pay by mortgage. Um, He watches my dog when I travel he made me realize that my color is blue. I did not know that before. <laughs> and it is just, important you know, to
1: lock down your color.
3: <laughs> I know. I I had no idea. It's tough um, to come up with an
1: identity without one.
3: That's right. That's right. It's just been, you know, he just has a perspective on things that it's it's really nice having around.
1: Ah, the memoirs. All right, question number four. Your the biggest financial mistake that you've made.
3: Well, it could quite possibly be economy. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am putting a lot of my own personal money into building this conference. So hopefully you don't ask me that question a year from now and I say it was economy.
1: We should um, Because
3: everyone... Uh, yeah. Everyone after this episode is going to flock and buy tickets. Okay. That's, right. That's right. So it will not be economy. Um, but I would say a piece of my credit card debt, and I think why I kind of strung it along so long when I was in my 20s, is because I really valued liquidity over being debt-free. So, when I would like come into like a bonus or, you know, I get Christmas money or something like that, I would never like, hey, let's throw this at my debt and get out of debt quicker. That wasn't even on my radar. I would kind of like, I valued having money in the bank in case something happened versus setting myself up to be debt free and be in a much stronger financial position. So, I think that mindset about not seeing debt as a problem was probably my biggest financial mistake. What did it take to
1: shift that? Because I I get the appeal of quote-unquote liquidity. What did it get to shift that mindset?
3: I think when I realized that being out of debt would allow me to Put more towards savings or having, you know, before when I didn't have a goal, when I didn't have that, I want to go walk the Camino and I want to move to Cincinnati and I want to have a safety net for myself to be able to ask for these unconventional things. Saving for a rainy day was never really appealing to me. So, you know, the idea of saving just, it was kind of like something that I'll do later. Hmm. And debt just is like a normal thing that people have. I think. Basically, the absence of
1: goals only leaves the now.
3: Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, I guess I'll figure out whatever later. But once I had a goal to work towards, then it became a lot more tangible. And I think that also is the benefit of people pursuing FI is that they have this tangible goal that they've calculated when they're actually going to reach it. It feels a lot more real than I'm just saving for this far off future that is undetermined.
2: Yeah, I agree. Diana, question number five, the advice you would give your younger self.
3: I would say I'd love to encourage my, if I could talk to my younger self, I'd encourage her to let her curiosity be bigger than her fear. Because I think even the things that I've been able to do, like the getting out of debt and walking across the country and making a big move and All of it was, it was like, I felt a lot of fear and I pushed through it. I forced myself to do it, but I think I could have enjoyed the process a lot more if I was a little bit more curious and less fearful.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, the conference is called Economy and where can people find the tickets just one more time if they're interested in coming?
3: Yeah, economy, M-E, conference.com. Thank you so much.
1: If you got value from today's episode, and if you've been getting value from the episodes up to this point, just take one second and press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. It just lets the providers know you're getting value from the show and you want to be here when we produce additional content. If you want to support us and what we're doing here at Choose FI, here are four easy ways. One, leave us an iTunes review. To do that, just go to choosefi.com iTunes. Two, Use our page to sign up for travel credit cards. If you want to travel the world with miles and points instead of your hard-earned dollars, then just go to choosefi.com slash cards and get started today. Three, if you're working on the milestones of Fi, set up a personal capital account to track your progress and use our affiliate link. It's completely free. And just go to choosefi.com slash PC. P is in Paul, C as in Cap. And four, and most importantly, find your friends, coworkers, and family members who might be open to this message and tell them about the podcast. Have them start with episode 100. It is a fantastic starting place all right my friends the fire is spreading we'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road bus traveled
0: you've been listening to choose fi radio podcast where we help middle-class america build wealth one life hack at a time